Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all, welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. Now, if you hear me sounding a little hoarse or I'm coughing, I am dealing with allergies as the joys of living in California and during the, well, end of spring, beginning of summer, all that pollen is out in the air. So that's why I sound a little rough, even though you're probably hearing this right now in September. But before I get even further into this episode, let's start with the fact that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only, does not constitute working with a licensed mental health professional in your area, and I do strongly recommend finding one to talk about your unique issues. Now, to that end, today for this podcast is a celebration of a sorts because this is my two-year anniversary of creating this podcast and bringing you all the individuals that you have heard and listened to. And so today's guest that we're going to be talking about is someone who contacted me uh, a while ago and, uh, you know, life gets in the way and circled back to me as they had let me know they had finally started their practice. And as I'm looking at their practice and information, it's like, yes, I need to, let's, would you be interested in doing an episode, especially because unlike plenty of my other associates out there in the podcast world, there are plenty of people who are out there talking about starting their own practice and what it means to, to go into that, you know, practice building help. And so with his unique practice, I thought this would be a perfect chance to bring up out there for those that are not just clinicians of color, but also geeky clinicians of color, what it goes into building our practices. And so today, I'm going to introduce you to Saiki Edwards. And if I missed up his name, he'll basically correct it for me once he comes on. But Saiki Edwards is a licensed marriage and family therapist located in San Francisco Bay and owner of Hidden Quest Therapy. And believe me, when I read that name, I felt complete envy and jealousy because I could have picked that for my name for my therapy practice as well. Uh, Saiki helps geeks and gamers, creatives and artists, and spiritual seekers who want to create, who want to connect to their personal capacity, or sorry, capabilities, communities, and are calling in the outer world as much as they do in their inner world of their passions and interests. Saiki has a special commitment to the BIPOC community and those who hold identities that have been marginalized. In his work, Saiki utilizes a combination of video games, role-playing games, expressive arts therapy, and spiritual practices to support children, youth, adults, and family. Saiki particularly enjoys running therapeutically applied role-playing games for teens and young adults, therapeutic drumming circles for all ages in various settings, and workshops for caregivers, teachers, and providers on the use of video games and mental health Saiki's future goals include developing video games and tabletop games for therapeutic use and leading rituals of passage or rituals of passage wilderness groups for BIPOC youth. So, Saiki, welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here and to celebrate this to your anniversary with you. Likewise. So, as I ask everybody, how did you get here? How did you get started in all of this? Mm. yeah how did i get started i think um well i i, I think i knew this question <laughs> was coming i've been listening to your podcast and really 
enjoying it. Um, so to be here getting a chance to answer, I was like, huh, what's the, there's no right or wrong, but I'm just going to go with um, <laughs> ignoring my mom's wish to stay away from social work. <laughs> oh. She was a social worker. Um, oh. And as I was in grad school for therapy, she she didn't really say why. And I still, you know, I don't know. Um, she she did pass away like in 2012. But I, thank you. But um, this the process of going through grad school and becoming a therapist um, really connected me to her even more strongly and helped me kind of get through that. And so, mm-hmm. um, and just make it my own. I think she was mm-hmm. she was nervous that um, there's a lot of weight and responsibility and um, that goes into this this work. Um, mm. And she, I feel like she was trying to shield me from it. Yeah. Um, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But I also saw that she really gave so much to the families that she worked with. And that really inspired mm-hmm. me. And actually, so I think I got here because I actually started working with her um, mm-hmm. as a teacher's assistant at an early childhood learning center when I was 16. Oh, very nice. So yeah. she worked more agencies and such as opposed to a private practice? More agencies. She was just starting to, um, she had done some private practice. She always wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, it was kind of a tough transition to make when you have three kids. <laughs> well, and so three kids, and yeah, that would probably right. be a big factor in that standpoint about mm-hmm. some of the choices we make, which right. often comes up with our line of work, is especially, I mean, let's be frank, we are in a field that is underrepresented mm-hmm. as being an importance in the medical field. Right. It's underrepresented, especially for male therapists as it is, let alone therapists of color. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we become even more of a smaller population with us being geeky and more spiritually centered as opposed to some of the other methodologies that are out there. Right. But equally, right. I mean, we can also, as we both have had our time working in agencies as requirements of becoming therapists, it's a very different world in agency than in private practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's really what um, was calling me is just, um, there's also this, there's always this, I felt for me that there was this expectation that agency work was it. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, the message I received was there, there aren't many um, Black men um, in this field. And as a Black mm-hmm. male, that I was going to mean so much to the community and that's that mm-hmm. was where i would best that's the way i would best serve community mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of truth to that <laughs> mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um but i think this whole process of me um yeah thinking about what's sustainable um and how i can expand my reach and do the work in a way that um is going to help me grow as well it's just really um coming to more of uh, where I feel I need to be in the world mm-hmm. and not necessarily where um, others feel like I need to be. And if we're in alignment, great. <laughs> but, right. I, but I did really have to like think about it for myself, where I want to be. And um, for me, it's in both spaces. I, I really enjoy the community mental health aspects. I really enjoy private practice as well. Nice. And so I guess one of as it is, as you're listening to as you've been listening to this podcast, but as you get a chance to speak to others who are listening to it, who are on, on the therapy path or 
already therapists and still sort of thinking about what they want to do, whether they're still an agency, or even those who might be listening and considering becoming a therapist, what do you think is probably your take or a bit of wisdom about being a therapist of color mm-hmm. in this field? Mm-hmm. And if you want to throw on what it feels like being a man in this field, all that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, for speaking from my own experience, for myself personally, um, I think it was hard for me at first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know still has its challenges, but I, I think at the beginning, being in grad school, being one of the only black students and black males I, I felt I couldn't really hide <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm introverted by nature and um I wasn't necessarily looking to hide but I just stood out and with that came all everybody's expectations um mm-hmm. and so I really had to just remember why I was there mm-hmm. for myself um and for the clients I was working with and just um not taking on other people's hopes and expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a way, it, you know, it did, it was motivating. It was um, supportive. It came from a really good place of um, support. But I, I did have this feeling that when people would say things like, yeah, you're, you're needed in the community, you need Black men, I felt like who I was as in all the other aspects of my identity um, mm-hmm where it was kind of lost in that. Like, I wanted to know mm. that I was a fit for all of me, not just because of my race. And mm-hmm. and I learned to trust that that's the intent, that was the intention. <laughs> mm-hmm. That people, you know, they were, it was implied, it was implicit that it was all of me who I was, but I really, it took me time to to trust that, um, that I wasn't just being seen just for, um, yeah, my, my race or gender. Um, because I was, yeah, I, um, way back when I first started as a teacher's assistant, I would mm-hmm. you know, work with a lot of boys. They would send all the boys to work with me. Um, I'd mm-hmm. be paired with the boys. And so they would notice that um, um, that's what was needed and that's what the children needed. Uh, it, was mm-hmm. a, it was a male fig- older male figure. Um, so my practice being centered around yeah, geek culture mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the creative arts and spirituality is really my way of bringing in those other identities and centering those and not just um, race. Well, and I think that adds to uh, one of those interesting places what you're talking about, the idea that there are more components to our identity. Mm-hmm. Many would have said that, well, why aren't you in a sports program? Why aren't you getting the gangs? Mm, oh, mm. kids off the gangs is like but have you ever paid attention to the ones that are quiet in the corners right that they need help just as much but that does not mean that you're going to be able to talk about lebron james game uh game with them mm-hmm. you might be talking much more about spider-man right or you might be talking about transformers with them mm-hmm. or equally you might be talking about harry potter too exactly exactly so, it does it's not again we're not a monolith about what it means for our kids and for ourselves to grow mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. and what we're interested in let alone the fact that our interest in those areas have often also made us considered unacceptable in our society right right 
Yeah, and and I and I feel like there's a <laughs> there's a moment when I really realized that uh, for myself, and I think I was um, it was the first time in grad school that I was really learning about um, systems of oppression and internalized mm. racism, and um, but I always lived with this hypervigilance around stereotype threat. Mm-hmm. Um and also and and I grew up with people, you know, saying I was white because of my interests or the way I talked or this and this or that, right? And so mm-hmm. that was still internalized. And when I would work with um clients or young boys, um some sometimes um I would feel like that would get in the way mm-hmm. <laughs> of my work. And I remember going to this barbecue. Um, we're celebrating. I think it was like a summer barbecue um, that my clinic was throwing. And one of my clients, mm-hmm. he was graduating from a program. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was in a great mood. I was, it, I loved just this idea of like celebrating with a barbecue at a clinic. It was just <laughs> mm-hmm. what a great way to come together. It wasn't heard of. I hadn't heard of any experiences like that in the field. Um, so it, I just felt at home. Um, and when I arrived, I remember greeting. Um, young man and he he extended his hand and kind of gave me this firm solid handshake and um i felt good about it like yeah uh and then he he moved on um and there was somebody else another older black man who uh, he you know did the whole like you know the whole dap like the handshake mm-hmm. brought him in for a hug you know it was it, mm-hmm. really, I, it was, felt like it was more like they were more relaxed, they were more personable, they were able to relate to each other more, connect mm-hmm. with each other more. And I remember feeling like, oh, like, oh, like, am I just like the stiff clinician mm-hmm. that really can't relate to my client in that way with more ease or relatedness? Uh, but then as I thought about it and really thought for my client, I was like, wow, how amazing is it that he gets to show up in these different ways with different men of color? Um, who express themselves um, in different ways or who show up in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And we're not pigeonholed um, to be any one way where um, there's no one way. And then that's, that's, there's no, right. There's no one way yeah. to, to be a black or a black male or to show up. Right. And, and that moment just made me think of, um, yeah, I just always connect to that whenever I have this, uh, feeling of not being this enough or that enough and just no it's multiple ways of being and the more i can be myself and show up myself create space for others to do the same nice which is again one of those areas that doesn't always get thought about with our field where mm-hmm. i mean i don't know about you but there are times where it's like do you all assume that just because we're a therapist we all work the exact same way mm. like you would if you went to just get your general uh doctor and that we work all can work with the exact same things. I mean, we all like get right. some of the same basic training, but we all start branching out after that. Right, right. And with that branching out also, again, for us, comes up that aspect of, yeah, we are a degree of what we work with with masculinity, but even more getting into what it means to be a geek or blurred. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, what was it uh, for you about centering your practice around geekdom and being able to let our geek and blurred flags fly. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think it was the thing that um, helped me just feel more of myself. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I think it helped a lot of the clients that I've worked with be themselves as well, just to mm. just to connect in this other way. It's very, it's, you know, it's just in its fun relational way. I, I really believe mm -hmm. that when um, people are passionate about something, I have a really strong interest. There's this affinity and there's this mm -hmm. shared culture um, that we have. Um, and then that, that just really helps foster that relationship. So it's very, it's very it's, yeah it's just helped me connect mm -hmm. and create this you know establish this really um strong rapport in in a way that's very quick <laughs> mm. i've noticed that as well it's like once you, you play a game where you mention oh I, I know this game or i've seen this movie or oh yeah it's my favorite character it's like this connection there's this trust that there's this shared experience shared understanding um shared identity could you say more about that? How, especially it empowers our both our clients and ourselves, and this, this blend of uh, psychotherapy and geekdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel I think that um, there's a lot of stigma around gaming culture, geek culture. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of stigma with mental health and talking about your, your emotional your emotions or what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Like if. Uh, you know, I've I work with a lot of teens, um, children, um, and their thought is that if they're in therapy, that means something is wrong with them, or mm -hmm. there's a there's a problem, or they need to be fixed, and I'm there to fix them in some way, mm -hmm. um, or or you know, I don't talk about my my feelings. That's not what we do. Um, so there's a lot of, and they're right to feel that way because <laughs> this this mm -hmm. field has there's a lot of. Um, medical racism uh, mm -hmm. that has done a lot of harm for these communities. So they're right to feel that way and have be suspicious and cautious. So let alone the and, idea about fixing too. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and especially if, um, you know, geek culture is something that they really connect to and resonate with. Mm -hmm. um, it feels it gives them a space to not feel any shame around it. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of um, worked with a lot of folks who feel othered because of their interest. If they're adults, they're they're told that it's immature. Even if they're mm -hmm. kids, sometimes it's told that you know, mm -hmm. they have to they have to mm -hmm. grow up and um, it's you know you're quit playing. You're playing all the time. What are these toys? You know. Um, so yeah, I think there's a way in which uh, it helps folks feel seen uh and i know that things have changed a lot in terms of geek culture like being more present and visible um, well, in pop culture uh, oh, but yeah. i think there's still a lot of um especially for yeah, yeah, yeah um children of color where they're told that because they like those things they're whitewashed mm -hmm. right so even if it's widely accepted in pop culture it's still not quite always um accepted in certain communities or for and yet, too, the standpoint of so much of the science and engineering technology that has been built by our people mm. to make this world work is a perfect example of the things that would have been said, these people don't fit in, even if they weren't full geeks, but the interest in science, the interest mm. in mathematics, the interest in and that 
seeking out and trying to under wonder why, mm-hmm. how, right, right, and those things are somehow seen as lack of usefulness, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. that that escape, or even even asking that question is somehow an escape that isn't allowed. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes it's there's a sense that it's not for us. Mm-hmm. I, I went on a rock climbing. Uh, I co-facilitated a group with a senior clinician who does leads a rock climbing group in the in this park mm-hmm. um, with young with young um, black men in high school, and they were um, there was a science project. There's it was like um, I guess it was um, there was a tree trunk and uh, there was like a lens covering it. A glass mm-hmm. lens so that when the sun would pass across the sky, the light would go through the lens and kind of burn the on the ch- tree on the log mm-hmm. so that you can track mm-hmm. the sun's movement over the years. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Um, I just remember one boy made a comment like like this is white people stuff. Um and it's it's like and and throughout the whole experience of being in the park, they they saw there was a summer program, there was a camp with mostly white children in the camp. Um, a, a lot of the jogger, joggers running by mm-hmm. were white, and I just remember they the, this group of boys were just talking as if they didn't belong, as if mm-hmm. like they this the space wasn't created with them in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, right, we we we're the, the scientists, the scientists, the, the inventions that we've contributed to and set the groundwork for, and they they you know can't see that. It's the way they've been socialized, and um, it just shows you how deeply ingrained these messages are around mm-hmm. what's what's for us, right? What what can we, what are we allowed to be interested in? Like what's available to us, and it feels like that's been um, it's kind of taken away. Or just... mm-hmm. Even the even to the standpoint of us working in mental health, that mm-hmm. our mental health can't be done by us for us mm-hmm. with our own interests in mind that doesn't fit a larger right. non us paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can equally become to the standpoint of how many of us stay in agencies and especially if the agency ends up being not the best workplace. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what was some of the resources and advice or things that you sought? in figuring out what you wanted to do with your practice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different things. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I, in no particular order. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I did have a lot of colleagues from grad school, some of whom I hadn't spoken to in years, um, mm-hmm. who I reconnected with, and and they had started practices, and they were really encouraging me to do the same. And that was the first time I had this feeling like, oh, it can be done. There's people I know who started mm-hmm. where I started who who are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting their encouragement and support and they kind of broke down the process of what they went through help just hearing other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been a part of this accountability group. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we call Gold Group that's been going on for almost 10 years where we meet um, certain number of times per month and we talk about our goals and what we've mm-hmm. accomplished and what we hadn't. Um, and it's just a great way to just give voice to 
the things you're doing, the, the things, um, or the tasks, the different tasks that I had to complete. And mm-hmm. it just helped me stay disciplined because uh, mm-hmm. there are going to be some weeks where I was really motivated to get a lot done. And sometimes I just wasn't really feeling it. I wasn't inspired. I was feeling doubtful. But just having that accountability, knowing that, okay, mm-hmm. in, in, in a week, I'm going to be meeting up with my friends. And so, um, you know, I want to, um, yeah, I don't want to break the cycle that we've, we've, we've created in this group because we've all accomplished some really interesting things mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that accountability helps. Um, also, my sister, um, who was starting a, a business, uh, told me about um, SCORE, SCORE mm-hmm. East Bay, which is um, uh, where folks provide free mentorship. Um mm-hmm. Folks in business and entrepreneurship offer free guidance to people mm-hmm. who are looking to start their own businesses. Um, so that was that was a huge <laughs> um, support for me. Um, mm-hmm. Almost it was, a, it was like a real mentorship. I felt really connected to this individual mm-hmm. and even got me my first client. So mm-hmm. um, that was really helpful. Uh, and then also just yeah, friends and family and support. I, I just I think just a practice of. communicating what my vision was mm-hmm. um, and just saying out loud, hearing myself, hearing what flowed, what didn't, and what people responded to resonated with really helped mm-hmm. me along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that some of those are some of the, the bigger um, supports that I was able to access. And what do you feel was the, uh, the obstacle or messaging that in, with the great with these great supports that you felt you had to overcome mm. that so many probably also are hitting that idea about mm. whether or not they should go and start their own business as opposed to stay in an agency right right yeah yeah and and you know i'll actually bring it back to like our relationship <laughs> or mm-hmm. connecting with you reaching out um that's also been an amazing support that networking and meeting people who are doing some of the work and just i think for me i had i had this starting out this feeling that um um my gut reaction was like oh if somebody's already doing it mm-hmm. <laughs> or oh my idea isn't unique or this person has more skill or this mm-hmm. you know um you know and i don't you know that's just all in my head those are just the you know, voices i've learned to quiet and and realize that you know this isn't a competition <laughs> right that my way is going to be my way their way is going to be their way mm-hmm. um, and why not learn from one another and support one another and and um find community in that mm-hmm. and, yeah because um, i don't know finish what you're gonna say well, it's just yeah. I mean, we. I think we just kind of exist in this capitalist system where we're we look at what other people are doing as competition, right? And right. I feel like that was that was a lot of the messaging that I would get through, like some courses that I would take, some books that I would read, but right. And so it's just like, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I don't like that word competition. Like these aren't my competitors. These, this is my community where we can all support each other. We can all grow. There's, if you have that um, abundance mindset, right. It's like we're, there's a high need for support and we're doing better, providing better service for our clients if we work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. Oh yeah. Well, Cause it's, and I think you've hit something too, is that, yeah, we definitely as therapists need to get business training. 
it's useful for us to run the business, just like we got the training to become therapists. But keep in mind, the business mindset, this, what I've also heard as a scarcity mindset versus Mm -hmm. the abundant mindset pushes that idea of competition. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just using the, what we know here about the Bay, we've got what, maybe 12 million people mm-hmm. in this Bay that's North, South, East, and West of the, right. just surrounding the Bay itself. And what, probably, what would you think? Maybe 200K worth of therapists. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that's our par park. So that's 200K worth of therapists between private practice and agency trying to care for 12 million people. Right. There's still a whole <laughs> slew of people that we have we can't even reach. Exactly. Right. So why would right. we be in competition with each other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just imagine that in your city and or even in your state. Right. Yeah. And then I think about the work it took me to find other therapists and who are doing similar work um right it, it takes it's just a lot of research that goes into it and some, some sometimes it's easier than um mm-hmm. other times but um and when i was like looking for a therapist it was hard <laughs> mm-hmm. it's hard to find these right and so when i think about it that way in terms of building a community and a presence together and um having a referral network and just increasing access to to clients by working together, um, mm-hmm. making it easier for clients that, that really shifted my perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have our niche, mm-hmm. but we also have our niches that overlap with everybody. Mm-hmm. So we become that place to be able to refer, but we also have our differences. And we also, yeah. while we have similarities in some of the clients we work with, we also have areas where we don't overlap, right. which right. becomes a place where, I can refer to you. You can refer to me uh, just for those aspects of we have similar, but not all the same matching skill sets. Exactly. So I think that's a great place for us to take a pause here uh, and come back for our second half here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with Saiki Edwards, licensed marriage and family therapist. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in a little bit. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the second half of Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. And because I have confirmed, as I have that track record, that I have mispronouncing the name. So I'm going to let them (laughs) do that for you. (laughs) It is Sakai. Sakai. Yes, Sakai. Yeah, I was. Uh, this is where my dyslexia gets in the way and trying to pronounce names. And there are times I just, I'm going to screw it up because this is what makes sense in my head. <laughs> not that I'm trying to be, to not respect people's names. It's just like, this is what makes sense for me to try and pronounce it. Right. I, I understand. And it's not an easy name to pronounce either. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of names, your practice name, like I said at the uh, in your introduction, was one that once I read it and heard it, it's like, oh, I should have thought about that for my practice as well. And I have that jealous envy covet aspect. So your practice is named as Hidden Quest Therapy. How did you come up with that name? <laughs> um, well, I guess like you, main quest and side quest was taken. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it happened for a reason, uh, because that the word hidden um, speaks so much to me. I've always loved uh, movies about secret worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to my name, uh, mm-hmm. I had a cl- client tell me that he loves this a genre of anime um, called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right now, but Isekai, Isekai, it's I-S-E-K-A-I, which is... Hmm. Very close to my spelling, <laughs> my mm-hmm. name, um, which in Japanese is also sounds, pronounced as a world, the world. And mm-hmm. So so that kind of stood out to me. <laughs> I love those kinds of movies where like the protagonist is transported or discovers mm-hmm. a secret hidden world. So uh, like the blade, the under, well, you know, he, it's not a new world for him, but the idea of the, 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 underworld. the underworld of all the vampires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Existing so in plain sight. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matrix, Harry Potter, Narnia, you, you know, Wakanda, like these mm-hmm. hidden worlds and the, the characters who work walk between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it as in as this um it's a space where um think about the hero's journey is where the protagonist or set of characters are confronted with challenges and it helps them connect to their their capabilities their community their their calling and for me that this really what gaming uh and art and spirituality have been to me like these hidden realms uh, where i've learned about all the hidden and and seen forces that shaped who i am um Mm -hmm. as opposed to like the main or the side quest because you know those are usually clear maybe um and 
but with the hidden quest, you know, you might not even know it's there. You're on it. You might not even mm-hmm. know, but you're you're definitely affected by it. Um, you don't know where it leads or maybe what's required, but um, what's required to 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 achieve that quest or what you'll gain. But mm-hmm. the process of building awareness and creating perspective and understanding and exploring what's 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 seen and unseen and integrating those two worlds, uh, I think is a um, is a, the experience that I'm um, hoping to create uh, for healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you didn't just have to do with what so many others just put their name as being their therapy practice. I mean, mm-hmm. like with mine is Untangle and Grow Counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my inspiration came from the Adinkra symbols yeah. of West Africa and a set of them. Because I'm, I know there are plenty of Sankofas out there, great power to mm-hmm. you. Although I just kind of felt like it was highly overused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes to Sankofa by going back and other symbols sort of spoke to me and taking them and how they translated came up to the aspect of uh, the knot of re- reconciliation which is where I get the entangle from. Mm-hmm. And then Ea, the fern, which is growth in a and even some of the most harshest environments is where I get the growth from, which is also representing post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that inspired my name for my practice, Untangle and Grow Counseling. Mm-hmm. And of course, in that same way, I, at one point I was going to use the wisdom knot for the podcast and that's where we got untying knots from mm-hmm. yeah the, the symbolism symbolism is so powerful um and I, that's why i, I love <laughs> um your use of the dinkers symbols and his connection to the name and um i thought about how to do that too <laughs> as well that was oh. part of my process i was exploring and like you're saying sometimes it can feel overused and um but it's those aren't two that I've seen that often and I've definitely clearly recognized them. So it definitely spoke to me immediately. And especially then once I had the actual symbols put, uh, cause I knew I wanted them in together in some mm-hmm. sort of relation to each other, as opposed mm-hmm. to they're usually seen as separate in, in, sim- in symbols and culturally they have reasons they're seen as separate ones, but it's like the combination of the two was the, also the thing of this relationship. Right. 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 So, but that's all within the name. And so within a name is also what we practice. And so some of the things that you're very much practicing in your field uh, at your practice is working with video games as well as role-playing games. Mm-hmm. So tell me a bit more about that, the folks that are interested and the geeks out there. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. At first, At the first, at the, yeah, I guess I was really lucky enough that the first clinic I worked at out of grad school, where I was able to play, they had an old PS2 and I was able to play with clients. Um, but it was still something I felt like had to be like hush hush. <laughs> like my supervisor knew, but it wasn't something that I like felt confident in really talking to other clinicians about or in, in group consult um, until I, I met my supervisor or found, I had met someone online. Because um, I was really intrigued about geek therapy, I was a geek therapist, mm-hmm. and through fate, um, they the position opened up, a supervisory position opened up a year later at my clinic, and they 
were able to get the, the job. And so mm-hmm. then I, I started to feel more confident in um, learning how to use um, therapeutic, um, well, just like the, the clinical language to um, substantiate what I was doing mm-hmm. <laughs> um, through like, explore more like play therapy and using play therapy mm-hmm. language. Um, and then over the years, I've had, you know, in my in another job at a clinic, um, I wanted to do the same thing, but I was didn't feel quite ready to just say, you know, mm-hmm. these video games. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I was like, how about like a role playing group? A friend had introduced me to uh, some live play podcasts, and I was mm. just moved to tears <laughs> by the end of the certain series, and I really wanted to play, and mm-hmm. because I just love sci-fi and fantasy settings and mm-hmm. role-playing and character building and storytelling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i was kind of like sublimating my <laughs> um this shameful thing of video game playing because i didn't feel confident yet bringing it to work professionally by mm-hmm. creating a role-playing game and it felt more um, comfortable for me to introduce clinically because it was in person they had aspects mm-hmm. of drama, drama therapy, play therapy, mm-hmm. and I could really talk about it in a way that was going to make it, um, uh, yeah, feel more, um, yeah, clinical in a way. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. had to codify it, <laughs> and it felt harder to do with video games, right? Um, it felt easier in a way to use that language for role playing, which is an interesting take on it, and I think that's a lot of us that are the um geek therapists have to struggle with that sense of having to justify or as you said mm-hmm. codify language mm-hmm. the use of that which is ultimately play and right. uh, for those listening by this point you've probably heard the episode with Sophia and sorry talking about play therapy uh if not it go back to the archives you'll see it a couple mm-hmm. was like a couple of months ago uh we we're talking about that but this sense that we have to justify it as a sense of therapy mm-hmm. that it has that these stories that are inside the video games and the role playing are useful to us as opposed to everybody has been hit with Cinderella sanitized by mm-hmm. Disney versus some of these other stories and they're all storytelling they're all narratives right right but not yeah. every but not every story narrative fits every person Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right yeah and i think i just i think there was just a lot of stigma that i was around gaming that i didn't mm. feel confident in my ability to speak um mm. to to yeah justify it at that point so but but i love the role-playing games so i was mm-hmm. happy <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um and i i really talked about it as in in the way of identity exploration Mm-hmm. Uh, building social skills um, for um, it's just stress relief, right? Just having mm-hmm. a, a break from the challenges that a lot of the <clears throat> participants were experiencing in other aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, but it also validated their, their um, yeah, their identity as um, mm-hmm. members of the geek community. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just having that... Um, uh identity for them to be seen and shared mm-hmm. with other 
um, by the participants their age, which is very validating, and they loved it. And they mm-hmm. were just like, "This isn't therapy. This doesn't feel like therapy. I can't wait till next time. Or, Do we have to leave? Do we have to end early? And <laughs> there's not enough time." And um, and and I just saw them really come alive in a different way. I felt alive in such mm-hmm. a different way doing the work, and, and my co-facilitator, um, it it there was such a flow and such an ease and but it, but it was work it was clinical we could see the shifts in mm-hmm. um the way the participants were showing up the way they were understanding themselves the way they were understanding the emotions of their their, their group members and they were really it was a safe space for them to try new skills without worrying about um there wasn't too much at stake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt like a safe space for them to learn and to grow. And um, But it was fun at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that, that's the, what role-playing games have. Um, yeah, that's, what, that's how I've been using them, just to really um, build this connection, having kids have a safe place to practice skills and to be seen and heard, to feel connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and this, I think, uh, easily lads into our aspect of a uh, question about myths and realities around mental health. So much of what you just spoke about seems to be in contrast to the idea that, shall we say, we see in a lot of media that has been put forth that it's a diagnosis mm-hmm. and that there's a sort of a goal. And I'm paraphrasing from something we've already spoken about, the idea of fix. Right. So then I'm sorry, I wonder what your thoughts are about that idea of fix your identity development. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I think within that, there, there's there's this message that something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're broken in some way. Um, that there's that you are not accepted as you are. Um, and there's no acknowledgement of Of the all the stressors that they're likely experiencing and facing in their life, um, they're identified as the as the issue, not the um, not the the crazy circumstances that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and that that this field is this benign, <laughs> um, benevolent field that heals people i feel there's a lot of harm that can be done um mm-hmm. and that has been done historically like there was a mm-hmm. diagnosis for slaves uh, mm-hmm. running away uh, right right and and the treatment was um whipping right and so or amputation or amputation, or amputation well. right right and so that's that's kind of the origin of of this field and we have to reconcile that and um Know that, um, in, especially in communities, color, marginalized communities, and this field has done a lot of harm. And so, to see clients who are maybe ready to engage in the process as like resistant, we use that word resistance, or mm-hmm. if we feel like they're they're not doing the work, or they're not showing up, or they're not engaged, right? It's mm-hmm. just, I feel like there's this dismissal of um, their own yeah like just the 
their own attempts to protect themselves from a system that has historically done a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, and and I think the reality part of it is that that there are a lot of amazing clinicians who work with intention of reclaiming <laughs> and mm -hmm. and um and really changing the system from the inside out um and yeah like really redefining what the work looks like um, yeah yeah uh, and you spoke about the uh history we have with mental health and the idea of the runaway slave syndrome which was known as drapomania mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i remember i was telling that at a some uh, i forget exactly what type of function i was at but i was giving a speech about it and i had several people who were therapists who had never heard the term before mm -hmm. and the aspect is like wait a minute this was not covered in your history of therapy class which i know i was had to take from my school and i've heard others have to take it but then again there's an example of what was the focus of the history which was mostly all things mm -hmm. like freud mm -hmm. jung skinner mm -hmm. none of the other people who have added that weren't necessarily all male or necessarily female or people of color in their his history of our field i mean I'm almost as we talk about law and ethics we actually probably need probably would be useful to actually have a course on this has been the abuse of done mm. by there we're going to know it before we walk out in the field right so that we aren't doing that harm and that would probably also be one of the things we would need to actually have in a improved cultural humility class mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right right yeah yeah, yeah and I, that's something yeah, no, 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 go, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I guess I was just thinking of um, just an example of that is, um, you know, there, there's some programs where we uh, that are created to work in specific like housing communities, mm -hmm. right? And um, And it sometimes can feel like um, if the real underlying systemic issues aren't being addressed mm -hmm. uh, and supporting the families on that level, mm -hmm. um, that uh, it's 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 hard to do what we call like the traditional like therapy because you know there's there are real real basic needs that aren't being met. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes when the communities they're wanting that <laughs> not not therapists or new programs coming in um trying to you know use this new model <laughs> mm -hmm. right that, that there's things that um they've identified uh, their leadership and their the, the community themselves know what's right for them and what they need and so mm -hmm. um I think that's, yeah, part of that um, challenge that I've had with past work experiences and really figuring out how to, um, yeah, like uh, show up in the way that the community is asking for mm -hmm. providers to show up and not just what the provider has in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which comes back to again that standpoint of somebody's trying to fix yeah. what they think is the problem. Right, right. 
and they don't fix the actual problem. They fix the perceived problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or what they perceive as the problem. Right. Which comes back to that standpoint of, oh, yeah, you may have whipped them, our ancestors, or cut their hands off, but they still have the chain of slavery around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When that was the actual thing that needed to be fixed. Right. And that's some of which I think we both can agree is what we don't try to bring into our practices. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, where can folks find you as they want to explore more working with you on your and in your hidden quest therapy? <laughs> uh, folks can find me on my website at Um I know when I type it in sometimes, it's it's mm-hmm. easy to forget the second T for therapy. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, hiddenquesttherapy.com. Um, can also reach through my email address, uh, Sakai E at hiddenquesttherapy.com, S E K A Y I at hiddenquesttherapy.com. And I think I think the next phase has to be social media. <laughs> Not uh, quite yes, there yeah. yet. But but it, oh yeah. It, it well hopefully, <laughs> hopefully by the time that this airs, you'll have a at least an Instagram account because I'm certain there's a number of people out there. Who will want to basically connect with you from that? So, thank you, thank you. All righty. So, thank you so much for being on here, and thank you for making this anniversary episode. It's kind of also fulfilling to know this is part of why I'm here and doing this, not just what we do in the therapy room too. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Yeah, again, it's been such an honor, and congratulations to you. And yeah, your 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 work is having a deep impact <laughs> and so yeah i'm really excited to yeah connect and be a part of your circle all righty so we look forward to hearing more from you and i have a feeling we'll be having you back for a later episode but this is untying knots minds and souls and tethered uh completing two years of these podcasts and hopefully we'll get be able to get another year out before it's time for me to hang up the mic but we'll see Otherwise, stay safe, be well, and see you soon on the Voice America Network. Bye, all. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.